When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. There are two rules to remember if you want to have a good time. Rules! No rules! Rule number one. Keep your friends close, but your enemies close. Rule number two. You're a dragon. Be a dragon. Ciao, Bella. This week on Double Dragon, comic Steve Osborne and I cover the ninth episode of the first season, The Green Council. A lot of foot talk. Just a warning, a lot of foot talk in this episode. And then medievalist Kavita Mudon Finn joins me to talk about a historical parallel to Laris Strong. So you don't want to miss that. I think this weekend I might put out a bonus episode that includes my larger conversation with Kavita. She has a new book out called Global Medievalism. She's co-written this with Helen Young. Do a search either on the Cambridge website or you can search Amazon for that. If you are at all interested in the concept of medievalism, this is the book for you. Okay, without further ado, here is comic Steve Osborne. How do you want to start? How do we normally start? <laughs> I usually say, Steve, are you a footman? <laughs> and you don't want to do that this time. I was thinking like that's probably how I should start. And then I thought, you know what, maybe I should avoid the topic. Uh, but now that we're here, uh, well, I don't. The show certainly didn't opt to avoid the topic. In fact, they made a whole no. scene out of it. He will burn a house down for feet. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely. You know, I mean, the, the reviews on this are mostly um, underwhelmed, um, except Tarantino. Uh, this was his favorite episode so far. <laughs> this was the most Tarantino episode there was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, Game of Thrones will do this from time to time. It will, you know, bring something that's kind of like everyone knows about, but no one really wants to talk about. Mm. They're going to bring it right to the fore. Like, you know, right. like, for instance, like, we all know about, like, the children fight pits that are in every city in the U.S. Yeah, the, I believe they call it the Mickey Mouse Fight Club. <laughs> <laughs> I think that that wins. Mickey Mouse <laughs> Fight Club wins the day. <laughs> I, I will say there were several times during this episode where I, I was like, "What?" Um, <laughs> yeah, that, this that's a great way to uh, like, yeah. So we're whereas uh, you know the penultimate episodes we're getting used to being like, kind of hold on to the edge of your seat. It's gonna, this one was just say what now. So uh, we're gonna okay. re we're gonna redo our ranking system. We're gonna do a Dorn, a Danny, a Dinklage, and a huh. <laughs> yeah yeah what are you talking about martin yeah there was a lot of that like this felt like there was there were some moments i'm like did you just time jump in that scene <laughs> so <laughs> no time jumps this uh this episode right there was like there's sort of like a time jump in spirit right like we find out that the the green council has been uh you know working on this whole succession 
plan for, for quite while. some time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it's like, we now join the Green Council already in progress. Sure. I mean, I, and I think that that, I don't know why it comes as a surprise to Allison, because I think we all saw that coming. You know, Otto's right. not the kind of guy to plant the seed, you know, that Aegon should be the true leader and then not be working behind the scenes to put that in motion, right? So Right. Yeah, and so, I mean, and again, since I don't have, you know, book knowledge in general, not just book, you know, this. It's all feet. Book. Every other page is feet. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's like, it's a pop-up. You should um, see the illustrations. They are amazing. <laughs> scratch and sniff. Uh, the <laughs> So you, ha- you have the, you know, the aforementioned Three's Company misunderstanding that sort of sets this whole thing into motion. <laughs> sure. And... And then in, in that, in a, in a way, I mean, it makes things fairly convenient, you know, and again, I don't know, this is all, if it's all in the book, it's fine, I mean, I, I guess. but Not I, in the book at all, no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that becomes, it's interesting because like you have Allison and Otto there, it's like, hey, good news, uh, Aegon can be king because, uh, you know, uh, King Gross just said, whispered a bunch of stuff in my ear and then he's just like, oh, Great. Uh, funny you should mention that. Yeah. Uh, we've already got this whole thing planned. So, and it's like, oh, okay. And then it's like, okay, well, now the battle of them ensues to, to do the same thing. To wait <laughs> like, to do what? They're like, okay, we got, you know, like, well, let's go get Aegon. Well, I'm going to go get Aegon. And it's like, okay, well, it's like, yeah, I understand that there's some nuance to, yeah. to Otto getting Aegon before Allison does. But at the same time, it's like, but he, it's not like, I'm not going to have him be the king, but I am. Like, that's some real... No, yeah, There's they're both really invested in this race to find Aegon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I was wondering, like, why are they both so invested? It's almost like they think, you know, a lot's on the line. And th- the best that I can tell is, like, each one of them wants to get into the guy's ear first and say... Don't do what the other person tells you to do. Right. And I'm wondering, like, my impression of Aegon so far is he's not that impressionable. Like, he might just do his own thing. Right. But they're really invested. Yeah, and it's also like, well, I mean, there's another, like, there's tomorrow. You know, Otto's around tomorrow. (laughs) So if if Allison can get to him, like, hey, don't kill... uh, uh, don't kill my friend, and then Otto's like mm, later that later that evening. I think you should kill her friend. Like, oh, okay. I mean, I don't like. It just seems weird. Like, it's not like, and, yeah. and not like they're separated. Not like now. Oh, now Aegon is now here in this part of the castle where he cannot be reached by Otto because now Otto's been shipped away. So like, no, no. it's interesting. Like the the most interesting thing about this episode, and I absolutely adored this part of it, was the idea that. The guy who we've been conniving to put on the throne absolutely doesn't want it. Mm-hmm. And he's AWOL. And if he finds out, he, gone. he might just skip town. Right. And we get that with Eamon, right? Like if he basically is like, yeah. just let me go. So I think that that's probably the angle that he should have played up better. It's like Aegon's not here. And if he finds out, he might flee because we know he doesn't want it. That to me has higher stakes than... Who's who's gonna get to whisper in his ear first? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. For, and that was, I think, one of the. So a lot of that whole sequence, it took me a while. I'm like, oh, I must have like spaced out. Like that's what I thought because I'm like, there must be something else to this this race to get mm-hmm. him. 
and it didn't happen. And instead, it felt like it was more of an opportunity um, for us to be reminded once again that Aegon's probably not going to be a good king because, you know, and then... I, think, I mean, let me, just, let me just point out yet again, Aegon is endlessly fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> where they find, they find him in a sept under hiding beneath an altar right but he's he's in such pain that he's like groaning under there he's like the worst hide and seek player ever <laughs> yeah he's but he's, he's like, always <laughs> getting drunk and then you can hear him like wretch wherever he's hiding <laughs> yeah it reminds me of when i um uh got uh, picked up by the police when I was in high school for uh, public intoxication. Oh, okay. Oh. I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> Did I you go a... hide in Sebastopol Christian Church? Uh, well, close. I was, uh, so I had a, a knee brace on, so I couldn't run like the rest of, of my uh, cohorts. <laughs> okay. So well, we were in a neighborhood and there was a, a con- like a little bit of a construction site going on. And so there was a porta sure. potty. So I, I went into the porta potty to hide. Solid move. Solid. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, as I can hear the the footsteps of of the police officers on the concrete, I, I I just know that they're closing in, and I'm like, well, I don't really know what to do, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, again, I think it's important that we remember mm-hmm. that I'm I'm publicly intoxicated, <laughs> and uh, and so I'm like, well, I mean, they could open the door. I'm like, I could lock it, and that would be weird, right? <laughs> so they said, anybody in there? And I uh, and I was like, well, I know exactly what to do. I'll say no. <laughs> that that should do it. They should be able to take me at my word. Innocent until proven guilty is what yeah, I thought. I thought you were gonna go the whole Breaking Bad route and say, actually, this is a domicile. <laughs> do you have a warrant to enter, sir? <laughs> yeah, no, no. All right, so that's interesting. So they, I'm I'm taking that they didn't believe you. Yeah, and I also, um, based on that, should not have been king. <laughs> king of my heart, Steve. <laughs> so this is an interesting episode for a lot of reasons, but one that's interesting to me is that there's no time jump, mm-hmm. and yet they almost play with the, the book material a little bit differently in that they speed things up. So okay. I, I'm just going to read you a couple of paragraphs from the book. And I I, I was kind of disappointed that they didn't do this because, well, you'll, you'll see, because of reasons. So this is from um, Fire and Blood. A day passed, then another. Neither Septons nor Silent Sisters were summoned to the bedchamber where King Viserys lay, swollen and rotting. No bells rang. Ravens flew, but not to Dragonstone. They went instead to Old Town, Casterly Rock, and River Run, to High Garden, and many other lords and knights whom Queen Alicent had cause to think might be sympathetic to her son. And then we'll fast forward a bit. It says, By the time Prince Aemon took his leave, the stink from the dead king's bedchamber had wafted all through Magor's holdfast, and many wild tales and rumors were spreading through the court and castle. So it's interesting that this this episode is supposed to take place over days and days until the corpse starts wafting out, and they're trying to keep it a secret, a la Weekend at Bernie's. Ah, right, yes. And I was so convinced that they were going to do Weekend at Bernie's that I actually, this week, 
sat down and watched Weekend at Bernie's because I thought <laughs> you better I, get the source I, material. I absolutely don't remember the the film well enough, and I know that I'm probably going to have to talk about the source material that inspired the episode. Oh, the whole uh, book series, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes. So they didn't do that. They didn't do that at all. In fact, it seemed like all the lords and ladies that they needed to talk to were already in the city. You know, they were yeah. like, they didn't have to go and fetch them and bring them back because that, that, of course, all takes time. Instead, what they decided to do is make a race out of who could find Aegon first. And so they sped the whole thing up. So I thought that was kind of interesting Especially for Otto, who is so into the long game. Mm-hmm. He's so into the long game. And then he, right at the the precipice of making his move, everything is like hurry up offense. So I, I kind of need to ask your opinion on that. But maybe we should do a storyline or two and kind of yeah, get let's, to that. Let's, 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 um, let us not rush through the storyline. We will not make the same mistake. Uh, This is the storyline. The king is dead. A blonde-haired child finds Talia and whispers something ominous into her ear. Talia tells Alicent, who learns that Viserys is dead. Alicent commands her maidservant to tell no one. Then she tells Otto that the king wanted Aegon to succeed him. The High Council is called in early, and they continue plotting to enthrone Aegon. Lord Beesbury blathers. Then the bodyguard bonks him, and he buzzes his last but isn't buried. <laughs> Lord Westerling refuses to assassinate Rhaenyra and her children, and he takes his leave. So now Kristen Cole can just kill anyone he wants. Yep, that's his thing. If, if you're not named Hightower or Targaryen, Kristen Cole can just straight up murder you in yeah. public. I mean, at least Laris conspires behind, <laughs> behind, does it in secret. Yeah. I don't know why, I don't know why Alicent needs... Laris at all because Kristen Cole will just kill people right. in public and have zero consequences. Yeah, and she doesn't have to have like weird moments. Like maybe, maybe the fetish is hers. <laughs> this is all part of their role playing game. Exactly. He's like, now come in and make it look like your foot is hurt. <laughs> so, so Allison in this scene is shocked that they're plotting murder. Right, but not enough to like do anything really dramatic about it. I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's just believable to you that she's shocked by this. No, not really. I mean, it's it's so the the last you know go run that we had with her and Renera was like things were looking like they were you know like hey we might be working towards patching things up you know so that's kind of an, that that's a that's an interesting twist yeah. right and so we have right. that that's sort of where we left off with them and so I mean I I get the idea that she's not wanting to to see her her die because it's that's not the direction that she was just planning on going she kind of wants to have her cake and eat it too that part i, I that part i can get on board with but the idea that yeah. there, there's any surprise that you know considering you know let's not forget it wasn't that long ago that she stabbed ranira and uh and <laughs> and a, also was a woman who actually drew blood with a knife right and and had you know, because she couldn't cut out the eye of, of Rhaenyra's son. So they had, uh, right. uh, you know, and, and, and so she's been very clear uh, to Aegon that, you know, his life could be taken because of, of, of any perceived, you know, threat to Rhaenyra's, uh, you know, rightful place of the throne. So I'm like, that's 
Like, she knows better than anybody. In fact, she's the one who I think introduced us all <laughs> to this concept. Yeah. You know, so the idea later that it's like, okay, well, in order for this to work, then this is at least on the table uh, seems a little odd. I wonder if, now, if you if you look at that dialogue carefully, she said something like, am I to believe that this council has been plotting to put Aegon on the throne behind my back? And I think if you put emphasis on behind my back, maybe that's what she's upset about. Maybe. Yeah. Like, how can, look, I'm the queen. You don't include me in this? It's my son, right? right? Of course, the way she says it, it almost sounds like she's wearing a wire. Like, I don't trust her. Like, she's trying to get them to say it. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, and, and and so there so so let's let's analyze that a little bit, right? I mean, um we've talked about it's what is when she when she has the the famous uh misunderstanding on uh Viserys' uh deathbed. Um there's a, c- a couple ways to read it, right? And I think we talked about that previously was that either she genuinely thinks yeah, that he's just calling an audible, and you know, and is not going to entertain the idea that maybe, um, maybe he's not in his right mind, even if that's what he means. You know, she just takes it at face value. Uh, so it, she could be either completely just taking it at his face, like, "Hey, I'm trusting this to be the mm-hmm. thing," or mm-hmm. she's like, "I don't know exactly what he's talking about, but I can certainly interpret it this way. So therefore, I will interpret it this way." That so so that could lead you depending on which way you go. If you take it as a sincere notion, then maybe it does reveal a certain level of naivete. And so when she's sitting there having this conversation with the, with the council, that she is sort of like, wait a minute, wait, wait, like like I just had good news, and she didn't think it all the way through. Like, okay, well, what does that mean then? Right? I mean, obviously yeah. there's there's another step that goes through, and like in her mind, she's like, well, that's what we're here to talk about is what are the next steps, and I could kind of mm-hmm. lead the conversation. And then instead, it's like, well, no, no, we've already been having this conversation, and we already know how this has to go. It really doesn't matter to them whether or not Viserys said this. We've already accepted it as as our plan A. The fact that he said it to her only makes it easier for them that they don't have to now convince Alicent about this. Yeah. So It's so- interesting. She's a little bit like um, progressives who know the right thing to do like you and i are both pretty progressive so we're kind of i'm kind of critiquing us mm. but um you know there's certain things that sort of political progressives know that there's a right thing to do and then they kind of are intentionally put a blind eye to the the way that it gets done right or because the, they, they know has to happen in order for it to get done right? right and they know that there's some dirty stuff that has to happen but you know we're you know usually I mean, at least that's the cliche. We're so high-minded, uh, you know, and, and self-righteous that we don't want to believe that there's any bad guys on our side or whatever. Right. I, she's a little bit like that. Like, she's a little bit like someone who can kind of pretend that Laris isn't a total creep. Mm, right. Until she's reminded that he's a total creep. Um, She's a little bit like that. But I, I do want to, just for a minute, talk about that deathbed scene. Because I, I haven't heard anyone say this yet, and I feel like it probably deserves to be said. She's been told that unless Aegon sits the throne, the kingdom will be thrown into civil war. 
And the one thing that Viserys says, he doesn't say much that makes sense, but the one thing that Viserys says on his deathbed is that he says the name Aegon and he says, unite the realm. Right. And what he means is we need to sort of rally around whatever Targaryen's on the throne to unite the kingdom against the forces of darkness beyond the wall. In her mind, what she thinks is, unless my son Aegon's on the throne, the, the, this kingdom will not be united. Right, as as currently constructed. Right, so there's at least two points of contact with her sort of confirmation bias that allow her to tell herself the story that she needs to tell herself. So I think it's possible that she actually does believe that in his milk of the poppy ramblings, he is endorsing Aegon. Mm. Um, I I also think that the other the other thing is possible that she is just she's one of these sort of intentionally naive people. Um, I don't know. Maybe they haven't told that story well enough. Maybe I mean it's it's hard to say. They, this, and it may be that this episode did a lot to convolute a lot of things, and I could have done for a little more patience in any one uh, aspect of it. Like mm. I don't know. I mean, if you're going to have, you have an hour long episode, it's your penultimate episode, you're trying to set, now you're really trying to move the pieces in place. Um, I, I'm I'm more interested in in the Green Council, which is interesting because isn't that the name of the, <laughs> the episode? Yeah. Like, yeah. like I would, I could have actually gone for, uh, this is, and this is the political uh, intrigue side of my preference, right, on, on Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like, I think, I yeah, think yeah. this would have been a, you could still have, you could still have some shock and awe at the end if you want, but, like, I don't know that I need to see a children fighting pit at all. I don't, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Well. Which is a statement I never thought I would have to say. <laughs> I think that they are, I mean, there is an aspect of this that's good storytelling. It's, it, the, you know, the rule is show, not tell, right? Mm. So we have been told that Aegon is kind of a depraved lunatic. Right. But nothing says depraved lunatic as much as filed teeth on a 10-year-old to <laughs> to make him more ferocious. Fair. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I, and, that's, and that's fine. But I'm like, also, it wasn't like, okay, well, now I'm not on board <laughs> with Aegon. You know, and so, okay. so, so, sure. but, you know, and then you have, and you, when you talk about the show, don't not tell, it's like, even then, you do have a moment where uh, Eric or Eric or Arik or Arik, whatever, uh, is like, ooh, you know, this is a bad guy. Like, <laughs> for those of you at home who <laughs> are having a hard time keeping score, this is unsavory. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess there's like for I guess for my preferences I mean I would have preferred to have more more understanding and discussion of the fallout more of maybe Alicent um you know we can kind of understand what her what her motivations mm-hmm. are and, and what 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 do you think is going to happen like like maybe so even just it, to come to yeah. to the seven gods moment where you're just like hey I uh I, I guess I don't know I I mean what are my, what are the options right Okay and, so this is an interesting problem because I think that this show has been doing some interesting work with ambiguity in in ways that maybe I haven't seen in other shows. I think that some really innovative ambiguity. Like the, like the question of like when it, when uh Damon made the toast, did he say prince for a day or not? Mm-hmm, right. But I mean there's there's been a number of things like that where it's like did that really happen cuz it kind of happened off screen and it could have gone either way? So there's a lot of sort of playing with ambiguity, even in this episode. 
you know, Aegon and Alicent are in the royal wheelhouse, and he says, do you love me? Right. And she says, you imbecile, as if, now, dot, 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 she could have said, of course I love you. Right. But that happens off screen. Yeah, so you have that moment. She could where say, like, you imbecile, just do your damn job. Right. You like, know, there's. Yeah, or yeah, you imbecile, why does that have anything to do with what we're talking about? Right yeah, now? I mean, so it's like that happens off screen. So they're playing with ambiguity. So that's interesting to me. But one of the ways that they're doing ambiguity in this show is they're they're kind of concealing Allison's true motives. Like in the books, what she says is, I hope the. I hope Rhaenyra dies in childbirth. You know, that's that's what she's saying at that moment in the in the Green Council. Because she's, you know, Rhaenyra's about to have another baby. Mm. So she's actually wishing death on her former best friend. She hates her. She hates her guts at this point. Whereas the show is sort of like leaning into, well, are are we really sure what Allison's motives are? Because she kind of still loves Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think that they're doing a good job with the ambiguity, and sometimes I feel like maybe they're pressing it a little bit too far. Cause oh, okay. Or maybe I think the right I f- spots, even. Maybe it, maybe. I feel like you can do it, but you can only do it so much until I don't understand the story you're telling. Right, and I don't, and then I don't know if I know that you know what the story you're trying to tell. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Okay, this next... Uh, oh, one, one little thing about the storyline that I really liked. In order to tell... The white worm that the king is dead. Talia lights these candles in the window. Kind of like call back to uh, Sansa. Mm, yeah. So she's trying to tell her spy mistress that the king's dead using fire to do it. That kind of bookends with the fact that Laris ends up burning down the whole thing. Right, right. So there's some fire parallels here, which I I enjoyed. There's also a lot of bug imagery. Yeah. Um, I wrote down a few phrases. Wasp on the fruit. Mm -hmm. There's a spider metaphor. There's kill the queen bee. We see Lord Beesbury die. Um, There's the sigil on Larry's cane. Right. And there's (laughs) there's one scene where there's a woman in flea bottom. And it's very quick, but you can see her actually scratching her body all over as if she has fleas. Nice. Okay. <laughs> so I thought that was a nice little touch. Um, so, I, I mean, clearly they've got good storytellers. They've got good writers. They're thinking about larger themes. I just think that there's a few plot points that need better explanation. Yeah, and what you don't want and when you're trying to watch anything is to be going like, wait, what like we talked about her, like what was that? I just went because then now you're like, okay, now I got to either stop and rewind, or you just go, okay, yeah. well, I'll get back to that later. But and but that just hangs out there, right? It's yeah. And and then I'm like, well, wait, and if I don't understand the next thing, is it because I didn't understand the last thing I saw? And then you realize, oh, those things don't necessarily connect. I just have now two things, and they just like oh, now now I'm just. <laughs> I, I should have asked for a bag when I was at the grocery store and paid the ten cents to carry all this stuff. <laughs> sure. Yeah. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. 
just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. Our coverage of Hot D, Fire and Blood, and the 1980s Shogun miniseries continues. But then on Tuesday, for the first time in 35 years, we asked a question. Who framed Roger Rabbit? Hop aboard the train to Toontown as we revisit this incredible blending of live action and animation to see if it still holds up all this time later. Then on Wednesday, we get our first look at Blake Crouch's mind-bending sci-fi series, Dark Matter. The first two episodes drop simultaneously on Apple TV Plus, and we'll have a pair of podcasts, quantumly linked, ready for you to observe. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. All right, uh, this is the race to find the recalcitrant regent. Nobody can find Aegon, who has spent the night reveling. Otto tells Sir Eric and his brother to find him. Alicent sends Sir Kristen and Aemon to find him first. The race is on. We're given a tour through brothels and fighting pits, and finally at the sept where Aegon is hiding under an altar. The boy king literally runs away from his destiny, is caught by Aemon, and delivered to his mother. This was the part I loved. This is I. This was my favorite part of the episode. I loved the sort of the the twins having to convince each other what the right thing to do is. Mm. Like one of them saying, "Look, we took an oath. It doesn't. You you don't get to have high morals. You just do what the king says." Mm. And the other one's like, "Dude, I've been following this guy around. He's the worst. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's I... the absolute worst. How are we going to honor this king who has no honor?" So I thought that that was an interesting parallel, and then of course I love the 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 brother scene between Aegon and and Aemond. Yeah, you know where Aemond's like, 
I should, you know what? This guy does not deserve it. He doesn't want it. And yet I'm going to do my duty and force him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just thought that was fascinating to me. I, and it's almost, it's almost like there's a part of him that's like, you know what? You know what would be the ultimate way to get back at this guy is let him go up there and fail as king. Oh, yeah. Sure. Go be a yeah, bad yeah. king. Yeah, yeah, we're going to see. But don't bother me none, really. I mean. Well, it's interesting because I think the last episode had a lot of Jacob and Esau stuff, mm. like the old man on his deathbed and who's going to get the the blessing and all that business. Right. And I think this is, is uh, there was some uh, intriguing uh, things with, with Eamon and um, uh, and Aegon here, like it, the parallel to, to some degree of, obviously, of Damon and Viserys. Um because you get, you you just kind of get the same sense with Viserys, you know, and I think it's mentioned. This show's all about brothers. I mean, yeah, I guess doesn't... it's about sisters too, but these brothers always have fraught relationships. And you know, here's a here's a, a, another reluctant king, right? I mean, he when when Alicent's talking to Rhaenys, she talks about basically like, look, this this guy didn't want to be king, <laughs> you know, he want he likes stories and stuff. <laughs> <He's>... <laughs> he just wants to sing. <laughs> He wants to sit at home and read his mysteries. <laughs> and and so then you have Aegon, but he's different, right? I mean, he's not, like, it's not, I don't want to be king because I'm a little, maybe a little bit more pure of yeah. heart or whatever. It's just, I'm just, I don't want to be king because that's responsibility and I like doing really lousy stuff all the time. And then Aemon is like, I could be a better king because I'm stronger, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, we don't know if he's... Got you know we don't get the sense that he's compassionate. We don't even well no. We what he says is I've studied history. I've studied philosophy. I've studied swordplay. I want it. Yeah, like, I've got the biggest dragon in the kingdom. I should be. And he stops himself from saying king, but it, he has this idea that he's been training his whole whole life to be the you know to be the ideal man, I guess. And of course, and he, the yeah. ideal man should be king, right? Like he yeah, he checks all the all the uh, kind of superficial boxes that it would take, um, which speaks to his you know uh, inability. Why he wouldn't be a good leader is because he's again it's the superficial side of it, right? Like you so, almost like like the idea of a leader who kind of doesn't want to lead because you know they're they're too humble. They're not a real politician, but right. they're going to do it because it's the right thing to do. And somebody who yeah. does that might be more apt to listen to a wise counsel. Which is like, you know, kind of the view of Jon Snow. You right. Know? You know, the, the 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 one guy that I think Tyrion says, like, the, have you ever thought that the one guy who doesn't want to be king might make the best king? Or maybe Varys says it. This is the one guy who doesn't want to be king. And I, and I guarantee you he's not going to be a good king. Like, this guy does not need more power. Right. So yeah. yeah, I mean, neither one of them is a good option, obviously, at this point. But which, yeah, but it's different. It, that's where the the parallels between uh, Damon and Viserys end, because Viserys actually is kind of like the you know the, the king of peaks, right? I mean, is how they refer to him. Yeah, and I think that there's something to be said for that, right? And I think that's a you know intriguing way to to talk about his legacy because we've talked about like his he viewed his legacy as a failure because there was no no major like victory or or some right. sort of valiant effort that happened but instead he's king of peace like that's pretty good that's a, that's a in fact you know uh you know th- there are religions based on that kind of notion yeah a prince of peace yeah. that's the whole thing i i learned a new word in this storyline and i don't know if this is a word that you are aware of but it's the word wastrel i yeah i did not i'm not familiar with 
Okay, it's an interesting. Okay, so this is Amond. He calls his brother Aegon a wastrel. And there are two meanings. I looked it up. There's two definitions. I think it's an interesting ambiguity. It's either a wasteful or good for nothing person. That works, right? Mm-hmm. The other way that you could use this is a neglected child. Oh, wow. And I thought, what a perfect word for this guy. And it kind of feels you know? like one can beget the other, right? Yeah, because it, you do feel for him a little bit. It's like, my father hated me. Like, yeah, yeah. There's no way that my father wanted me king. He hated me. What are you talking about? And in that moment, you kind of feel for him. But then, like, every other moment of every episode, you hate his guts. Right. So, I don't know. I thought that was a really great word choice. Like, we get these little bits, right? Like, like that phrase. And then, you know, mm-hmm. you go and you do some, some more uh, study. And you're like, ooh, this really helps me understand uh, Aegon a little bit more. It's like, but the show didn't do that as well. I mean, like it did it a little bit, but like I felt like you could have done that. Like the things that the choices that were made in this episode that to show and to follow seemed less interesting than some of these other things that you kind of mine for. I think that that's true. And I think, like, for instance, I talked to my sister Tara today, who we were chatting about the episode. And initially, I, I was like, the whole thing was a bummer. I was just telling her. I was like, this was a really bummer of an episode. And I told her all the reasons I thought it was a bummer. And then we talked a, a, you know, another 10 minutes about the episode. And as we were talking, I realized there was a lot more here than I didn't give credit to. That there were actually some really great stuff about this episode. And I think it's just there's there was some sort of key thread missing to kind of tie it all together or maybe a few plot points that needed to be cut out or a few plot points that need to be explained a little bit better well yeah and 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 i, and I don't want to keep harping on it but i but i will because it was a fairly significant part of the episode it is the race to get Aegon, and I'm, i just could never get behind the high stakes that normally something like this would would imply because i'm like okay well you got him first and then you're like okay uh-huh. uh, oh and while we're in the carriage hey don't don't kill Renero, okay? As if that's it. Like, I mean, as if that's all you have to do. And then if he's like, okay, let's say he does, I mean, and say, okay, which he doesn't, you know, and then later, like, again, like I said, like, even a week later, Otto's like, you know, yeah. it's probably be better if you kill Like, I mean, he, it can be undone. Like, that was a, yeah. so there was this, it felt like the race to get him was to, to demonstrate other things and introduce other aspects of, uh, of, of the realm, like the, the fighting pits. And then, you know, I mean, like, like, let's say, let's say we didn't have any bad accent in this episode. Would we have been worse for it? <laughs> All right. That brings us to our next storyline. Renice has been locked in her room and Otto gets 20 or so lords and ladies to bend the knee to Aegon. The ones who won't are mo- marched off and into custody. Alan Caswell is stopped from leaving, interrogated, and Otto orders him to be executed. Otto is then introduced, at last, to the White Worm, who trades information about Aegon for an end to the fighting pits. Masari's a little bit, uh, got a little bit of Varys to her, I'm I'm finding. Because mm-hmm. she's got the little birds, right? Yeah. And now, but... She kind of wants the best for the commoners in the way that Varys always said he did. Yeah. Um, so I think I, I like that they're bringing in that element to the show. Well, it's because we're getting now we're expanding 
the the kingdom, right? And we've and we've been wanting more of that. I think is is we've been so inside the castle for so much. Yeah, I know, but do you have to do it in Flea Bottom? Like, I feel like <laughs> you have all those it's places. the grossest place in, on the planet. It's just... You're just... There's your liberal coastal elitism coming through again. No, that that's city life. I want to go rural. This is my conservatism <laughs> you know, peeking through. I want to see the idyllic life in the, in the northern pastures. I... Look... There's a lot of cool stuff in this world that Martin's created, and Flea Bottom is like the grossest place you could go. Well, but she makes reference, right? I mean, I think she she uh, I assume it's a, it's a necessary moment of of whether it's critique or at least it maybe could be some foreshadowing with the idea that you know your basically your power is is whatever the people, uh, you know, I forget how she worded, it, but like whatever the people don't allow to be released or something along those lines, and. Uh, she tells telling Otto this right and so basically saying that there's more power in in this uh you know in flea bottom than than maybe you get credit for because it's like we got the numbers you know i mean that's kind of what it comes down yeah. to and but i, I it goes like <laughs> now you you're going to you're going to hold at stake uh the the the, the chip you're going to use is is the thing that we were just introduced to like seconds before <laughs> so i just it just in terms of like dramatic effect um and that's where i think it started to feel really rushed where it was like hey those fighting pits that we just introduced you to that's yeah that's my big bargaining chip and i felt like it felt impatient to me to do all of that and i, I think that's where i'm coming down to a, a pacing thing maybe even less so what's happening and what's what i'm being shown is that the pacing was a little disjointed for me overall from uh like just from a storytelling perspective and there was too many like uh, okay like all right i'll put a pin in that and then off to the next mm-hmm. thing mm-hmm. i think you're right i think I, we, we didn't i mean but did we really want to see three episodes of the fi- fighting pits no i mean are the fighting pit- i mean that was one of your critiques of danny's narrative in the first series it's like why are people so invested in keeping these fighting pits open? <laughs> <laughs> the fighting pits of Marine. Like, seriously? We're going to go to war over that, huh? Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, these fighting pits are really important, apparently. But I mean, if, the, if it was, if it doesn't show up again, and it was Well, just... and you could, you could have introduced that problem in Flea Bottom a few episodes earlier and then make it a callback. And I think that might have had a different effect. Because we're still just, I'm still scratching my head over what the fighting pit what its purpose is and then it shows me this i'm like oh was it just to get to here and also it was a little extra so i've got a little bit of headcanon on this okay did Aegon construct this whole thing as a way to creatively get rid of his bastards Mm, okay i mean i don't know i don't i mean he i don't know if he's old enough to have bastards old enough to fight in this thing but there was that little blonde kid who's supposed to be one of his bastards in the ring right Sort of, I don't know if he's old enough to fight yet or whatever, but... Seems like there'd be other ways to get rid of him, though. Seems... <laughs> More subtle ways. Yeah, like that don't have everybody around going, hey, look, it's another platinum blonde guy. <laughs> hey, dude, hey, hey, Aegon, just show Laris your foot. <laughs> That's right. That's all you have to do, bro. He will do anything. Just show him that foot. You got your mother's feet, man. Get it. <laughs> yeah, I... Like, I, I, I guess what I... And I don't want to seem, like, overly critical... For this episode, because I, I, it's an important one, and I think some some interesting things happen, and and some uh, very creative and um, 
like there's some compelling stories that are being told. Um, it was, I think it was just the choices and how they were developed. Um, and then to where we end up, at least in this episode, I'm like, I don't really know. Like, I don't imagine that episode 10 is going to weave all that together in such a way that I was like, yeah, okay, I think 10 is going to be a much different animal, right? I mean, we have, since we have no Damon and we have no Renera, I have a feeling they're going to probably show up in the next episode. And, uh... I would guess. I would so, guess I, it, it's, it, yeah, I guess I guess it was just, I don't know that I like the things that, that it appeared that were being um, demonstrated through, like, through that whole race to get Aegon and then the uh, Masaria auto back and forth. I'm like, I don't know that any of that changed or moved what I see as the narrative any further. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what I think I'm having an issue with. Like if you're going to eliminate something or you're going to tweak something or you're going to like, this would seem like, well, this was a choice. This was a conscious effort to, to, to include these things. And like you said, bypass some other sp- stuff, um, uh, change other parts of the narrative. Like I, how much more interesting in my opinion, like now that I've, now you read from the book, like the idea that the King is rotting away, like there's, that's a very compelling well, and there's also uh, kind of a different. It's a slower. It's a slower story to tell, but there's almost a race to how do we get enough allies in time before the king's smell gives us away. There, I mean, and that to me is that's a much more interesting race that makes sense. When Otto says, "Who else knows about this?" That's kind of where I thought we were going to go. Like I, without knowing right. that story, part. it's almost like you've got this sort of like you know this countdown to a stink bomb, and this if the stink bomb ripens enough then the jig is up but if you can get enough lords and ladies on board before then you're you can pull off this plan well on the other side isn't Rhaenyra supposed to be coming like wasn't that where we left off where she was taking the the family back to dragonstone and then she was going to return so she was i don't you know it's one of those things where it's like you say you're going to do something. You, oh, yeah. You, you, click, you click maybe on the Facebook invite. I'm so bad with this. I'm so I'm so bad with making plans and then and then not coming through. <laughs> but, I mean, in terms of, like, the race against the clock, I mean, nothing says race against the clock. Like, hey, uh, the king is dead. And, and Rhaenyra is on her way. Rhaenyra is on her way. And if she sees that he's right. dead, then she's just going to take over. So we need to move things around. And, like, maybe, and, like, you can still have the hunt for Aegon, but it doesn't have to be, like... Otto versus Allison to get him. It could just be like, we just got to go get him, you know? Oh, and yeah. along the way, there's a fighting pit. Like, we'll split up. Look, Sir Kristen and Eamon go this way, and, you know, uh, the uh, all the Eric's go that way. And, and like, you can still do that and have something come out of that. Now, you know, it, it just, again, I don't want to sit there and rewrite. I do the, like the idea that Aegon doesn't want it. He will actually get on a boat and go somewhere. I like that idea. I wish that they would have done something like, Okay, Aegon, it's your turn. And then they turn around like, where'd he go? Yeah, so like have your, you got to get Aegon back. Like that's the whole thing. Get Aegon back, Renera's coming, all those things. Like that, there's there's a race to be had. And we can still yeah. go through and navigate all those same things. It's just that the the, the tension feels a little more more natural and maybe more uh, logical. And what, yeah, what kind of desperation would we see on their faces if Aegon has been missing for several days? Yeah, exactly. Because at that is... point, it's like he could be anywhere. Yeah, and the king is turning into soup. 
So I mean, like, there's a whole like, yeah. So and again, like, with that, like, I think you you still move things along. And I guess just for me, it's like now, like throughout the episode, I'm going, huh? Like we talked about, and the more I'm saying, huh, the less I'm taking in other stuff. All right, I'm gonna get to this next. Uh, this is Allison. Allison sees her husband wrapped. She cries. She places the crown on his body. She goes to treat with the queen who never was. Allison asks for political support. Renice's mind remains unchanged. But she suggests that Allison is wiser than she expected and asks her to imagine herself on the Iron Throne. Allison leaves with the conversation unresolved. Later on, she and her father debate the ethics of murder. Then she lays down the law, declares that Renera be kept alive, and instructs Otto on the details of, of Aegon's coronation. Then she makes an unsavory trade with Laris Strong. <clears throat> I think we've talked enough about the foot thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I mean. <laughs> uh, All right, let me ask you one more question. Hmm? How many times did you watch it? Oh, I mean. The foot I thing? Because I only rewinded it like five times. <laughs> you know, the thing is, is that I don't know how slow you can get your um, frame by frame to go. But. <laughs> Okay. It was more of a um, volume thing for me. <laughs> I like to turn it up. Get that surround <laughs> sound going. Um there's a couple of great lines in this scene. Um with Renice, she says, she says, "And yet you toil in service to men. You desire not to be free, but to make a window in the ward of your prison." Mm-hmm. That's great. And it was almost yeah, I thought it was it was fantastic. And and Allison, I was talking with my sister about this. Allison almost seems like someone who has never even imagined it before? Mm-hmm. I, I I got the sense that like no, she's internalized her father so much, and he, she even says it to her father earlier in the episode. He's like, "Well, would you know if I was moving you around like a pawn on the chessboard? I made you queen. What would I, you know? Would you have wanted anything else?" And she's like, "How would I know how what I want? What I wanted? Right? I only ever wanted what you told me to want." And then I think Renice is like, haven't you ever imagined yourself on the throne? I really think that she thinks, no, that part of my imagination was never given to me by my father. Hmm. So I, I do think like she always thought, no, it's about my husband. It's about my dad. It's about my son. I really think that she's never even considered the possibility of being on the throne. Which, and if that's the case, then I think that to me that, that really kind of helps seal that the this the misunderstanding may have actually been born from a true misunderstanding where she's just like, well, what is my husband telling me? What is my husband yeah, who's sure. the king telling me? And I, and I, and I don't know, like a part of me thinks like, well, that's, like, well, think about it. But then at the same time, I think that might also be offering a bit of a critique on the woman's role in this world, right? It's like, yeah, you're not really supposed to analyze, you know? And we even heard it, you know, even between the, the, the two Eric's, right? Like, you, you swore an oath. It doesn't matter. Like, like this isn't about morality. This is about loyalty. This is about honoring that oath. And so for her, it's like, well, this is kind of my role, right? I mean, I'm supposed to... The only times we see her sort of deviate is mm-hmm. it, it tends to be more of a maternal deviation. Renice is almost functioning like the mother she never had. You know, she never had a older female role model to kind of tell her 
here's how the, this works from the woman's perspective. Here's how it works from the man's perspective. You kind of have to understand both to be a woman in this world. All she's ever heard is from her husband or her father, and all she's ever cared about is putting her son on the throne. So I get the sense, and I think that maybe you feel the loss of Renera in her life too. Like her friendship with her best friend was cut short early on. And I don't get the sense that there are many other women in her life. Mm-hmm. So I think Alicent is not the evil person everyone makes her out to be. I think she's I think she's absolutely flawed. I think she's an absolutely flawed character. And the other thing that I think about this is, you know, there are some people th- that think that she had that servant girl killed. I don't think so. I After this episode, I don't think she did. I don't no. think she did. I, well, and the other thing is, I don't think it's... Uh... Like in the same way that we're talking about, like okay, she's been influenced by her father and all that. She's also lived alongside Viserys, who's not like overall like a bad dude, like for the most part, right? I mean, he's he's probably you know there's all the the good aspects of him had to be on display for her, so she may have learned like some things from him as well, right? So there is a certain naivete that he possesses. There's a certain forgiveness and face value that he sort of, you know, wrestles with, right? And so, yeah, so, yeah so, that's right. So if that's who she's spending her time with, um, you know, such as their relationship was, I mean, that's another voice that's coming in. And if she's more susceptible to, you know, being led as opposed to leading, you know, that's that's a way that she can, you know, she, she's pulling some of those those traits and those attributes as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, next storyline. Rhaenys is rescued from her chamber by Sir Eric. They sneak out, but get caught up in a crowd and land in the dragon pit. Meanwhile, in the royal wheelhouse, Aegon and Alicent discuss the king's final words. She gives him the knife, and he takes it. The people of King's Landing crowd into the dragon pit. Aegon's reign is proclaimed, and then he's crowned Lord of the Seven Kingdoms. Then Renice busts through the floor. Um, let's talk a little bit about this wheelhouse conversation. He doesn't. Be- no one really believes Alicent, and he doesn't believe it either. He laughs at her, and then she shows him the knife, and it's almost like his eyes light up, and he's like, "Are you? Are you playing with me? Like, don't toy with me, Mom." I think he says, mm-hmm. and I wonder what. What does that knife mean to him? I don't think he knows anything about the prophecy. Right. I was a little like because I was kind of hoping you would shed because he light. completely sh- changes his tune on that. Right. And I, I mean that knife. I mean obviously when you know the knife is the last thing. I guess the second to last thing we see in the in the last episode. Right. Is because she leaves. It's close up on the knife, and then and then yeah. we see Viserys drift away. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. Like it would seem like Eamon would be more moved by the knife. Maybe because I don't because get of his it. supposed understanding of like history and all of the you know. Yeah, I I kind of feel like I mean the one thing that might make sense is that like that was a knife Dad always carried around. Mm-hmm. That was his knife. Everyone knew it was his knife. He didn't let anyone touch that knife. And she's like, now it's yours. And that to him that represents his father more than anything. Or it's just synonymous with with 
power you know because that's what you know it as as he takes the crown and he hears the crowd then you realize like in in Aegon is like he doesn't want to be king but he sure does want something and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that like the knife like maybe maybe he's it's just... a man of simple taste all he wants is a fighting pit right 10 year old he's like man that he's, he's like this knife would file down some teeth like you wouldn't believe like i don't know if he's <laughs> if, if if it's just a matter of just the symbolism and like like the reality of it hits right like yeah. when he's just like oh like well look here's that knife like this is this is dad's knife and it's like oh like that really hits home like oh that's that's right i get you know like the golden child, right? I, I, I got the knife. <laughs> um, this was a great scene with his coronation because so th- he he walks in, so there's a bunch of pomp and circumstance, right? And he gets crowned, and they there's no kneeling. Like, I always associate, like, if a king is crowned, you kneel, right? Right. I didn't see anyone in the crowd kneeling, and then Otto kind of gives us a little bow. And they kind of go around the circle. There's like Allison bows, and they all kind of like I think Helena curtsies or something. Yeah. I don't think Amon does anything. <laughs> Amon, he if you watch very carefully, Amon gives the smallest, weakest, most insincere bow in the history of bows. Nice. It's like an almost imperceptible nod, and I rewatched it like a few times just because I thought it was so funny that he's. he's he can't bring himself right. to even like dip his chin more than half of an inch. <laughs> yeah, I was I was odd. Why not? I thought that they thought there'd be more kneeling involved. Yeah, but there was cheering. They almost did the wave. They're having a good time. I guess so. There, but there was a little awkward silence a couple of times. It's yeah, like, yeah. Eh, I don't know about this guy. I guess we're supposed to cheer. Yeah, like all the people are like, yeah, he, he makes my kids fight. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, he's pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> he looks the part. Oh, he's got both of his eyes. That's um. This okay. So this is the part of the episode that just I thought was a huge bummer. It's <laughs> when the it's when the dragon busts through the floor. The beast from under the boards. I guess that's it. I get was that what she was trying to say? Yeah. Beast under the board. Yeah, so I'm already waiting, right? I'm like, oh, who's the beast under the board? I'm like, oh, oh now we're cooking. <laughs> so all right, so that doesn't happen in the books, which I'm thinking, cool. I'm totally shocked. This is awesome. And she comes in and then I think, well, what's she gonna do now? Cause if she uh if she like dragon fires everybody this show's over real quick. <laughs> yeah, that's and fair. And then, of course, it doesn't happen. And she flies away. And I, again, I thought, they just, they needed a spectacle. They needed a mm-hmm. spectacle because it was the penultimate episode. And you need a spectacle in the penultimate episode. And then I watched the inside the, the, the show feature it at the mm-hmm. end. And that's exactly what Condal says. He's like, "Well, it was a penultimate episode. We needed a bit a big set piece." Oh boy, really? And I was like, "You that's not why you do that. You got to make yeah. it make sense with the plot. This has no impact on the plot at all." Yeah, so now what you yeah, so now you're actually 
beholden to uh, serious structure than you are um, the storytelling. I think so. I think it was like, well, people are going to expect some big event. How about a big dragon comes in and roars? And I think that, again, and I've said this before, I think that this show is brilliant when it comes to the politics and they have absolutely no idea what to do with the dragons. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I don't think they get it either. I, I, I really don't think that they know what to do with this. I almost feel like they're, to some degree, um, holding back the ability with the dragons or what they're doing with the dragons because it's like they probably get themselves in a corner. It's like, well, couldn't the dragon just make this all go away? And it's like, and isn't that... So I think it's almost as if the, the storytellers are running into an issue uh, with the power of, of, of the dragons... In the same way that the reason why the Targaryens were as powerful as they were is because they had the threat of dragons. Now they have the, yeah. th- the, the storytellers have the threat of dragons, and they're like, "Well, wh- how would this ever be a problem?" <laughs> you know, and so you have to create right. other ways to get there, and, they, and that seems to be the gap, like where they haven't gotten well, to. A great example of this is the scene with Rhaenyra and Daemon on the bridge, where Daemon has stolen an egg, the, and Otto goes to get the egg back. But of course, Damon's got a big dragon. So what are you gonna do? Are you gonna are you gonna take it by force, Otto? I don't think so. You know, he's got a Sherman tank behind him. Are you are you really gonna come at me with a pea shooter? I don't think so. And then Renera flies in on her dragon, and all of a sudden the playing field is equal. Right? There's two Sherman tanks, and so now you can actually have an equitable conversation. Right. That's how you use a dragon in politics. And I don't. I think that that scene was well done. I don't think that. I've seen any other episodes of this show where the dragon has had any political weight behind it. Yeah. I mean, I guess the attempted political weight here is that they were tried to keep Renice from her dragon and, and she got it back. That's true. And then, then there was the episode where Eamon gets the biggest dragon and Otto's like, right. And that comes up, right. I mean, so so like Eamon brings that up in here. And so, and and like, he talks about like, he should be king. He's got the, he's got the biggest dragon. So like, Uh it's another reminder that, well, this side does have, uh, obviously has dragons, but it also has the biggest dragon. So that's, and you, and the biggest dragon is wielded by maybe the most, uh, you know, the, the guy with the biggest ax to grind. And then you have now, uh, You've got uh, Renée's out. She's gone, uh, so she's not. You know, she's no longer. Uh... And I guess that was the thing with Allison, where she was like, "Look, you you could keep the peace if you're on our side. They won't attack, right? Because we have you and your dragon." So I think that would that's actually a good a political use of the dragon. So the, well. so the big the big use here is one. Okay, you hit you get your spectacle, which is yeah. fine. I mean, I, it's fine. I, I, and the interesting thing with me about the the spectacle is it didn't feel very spectacular. And I think that was an issue I had. Like I thought it was like I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. Like I was into it, but then I didn't have the same like it didn't have a shock and awe factor. And I don't know if it was the the editing or or the effects, but mm-hmm. I think they may have also been. And this again, this is gonna sound like me talking like you. I'm like, yeah. So you wiped out a bunch of flea bottom people. <laughs> you know, like you know what I mean. It's like it's like it's it's destruction for sure, but it's destruction that for people that you just sort of like just placed there they like they don't feel like there there wasn't Mm -hmm. there was no main character that got swept up in it necessarily i think that more important than that because you didn't have to get kill anyone but i do feel like what was the consequence of that scene like for the consequence of the red wedding it's like oh no that changes everything or like 
or if you know Jamie's hand gets cut off, like oh my gosh, what do we, what is he gonna be like now? Now right. that he can't. And this I don't feel like there's any consequence. It's like she got away. We were kind of sure that she was gonna get away anyway. Um, I everything has to proceed kind of as they were going to proceed anyway. Well, yeah, but I guess the difference too now is that um, they don't get to control the messaging anymore. Renice is on uh, Dragon Flight, presumably to Dragonstone, right? And so now true. it's on, right? I mean, like cats out of the bag. Cats out of the bag, uh, and you have uh, you have all of theoretically you've got um, you know Renice's uh, backing, and that means people. That means ships. Right, so I don't know. Do you think that? Do you think that she's actually gonna be? I think she might be neutral. I mean, I guess she just she just married her kids. Yeah, I don't get the sense that she's neutral because of the decision that she made in the last one, which basically said, um, like she she took the 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 uh, uh, interesting Targaryen stance, right? Because I think she sees this as Targaryens versus Hightower more than anything else. Because I think she says that, right? So I think that. so, so that I think is is the is the key is while there are Targaryens in this mix, they're being led by high towers. So even if you have uh, you know R- Rhaenyra's bastard line, at least they would be run by Targaryens. And I think at one point when they're when um, Alicent and Rhaenys are talking. She refers to her as Alicent Hightower. Yeah, she makes with emphasis a, on Hightower. Yeah, so I, so I think that that's where this. She knows that Otto is pulling the strings here. So I, I think that's. So I think there is something to the spectacle. That the spectacle itself isn't really the spectacle, right? I mean, that's that's the the shock and the awe, but it's the moment where Renice does two things. She breaks through. She also doesn't lay waste, right? I mean, she could have. Right, I mean, she could have, but there's something to that, right? I mean, she there's a whole different complication too. If you just wipe all them out, and then it's like, okay, well, now, now what? Um, and she knows enough about that that she she has to believe we can beat these people, and essentially in a civil war. Um, and I'm letting them mm. know that I believe they can that we can beat them by not doing mm. anything to them right now. So I mean, it's a, it's an interesting. Uh, gauntlet to throw down because they're, I do. They... I mean, I, I I liked I liked that they gave her a heroic episode. I've been waiting to kind of see her come into her own. I just wish that they told that story a little bit better. You know, I think it does kind of make sense. I mean, the, in my head canon, I think she went into that room with her dragon Maleys, thinking, "I'm going to burn these fools down. They're all traitors." And then she gets there, and then she realizes pulling the trigger is not as easy as it seems. Well, she looks like she's almost about to say it. She looks like she's almost about to say it, and I think she intends to say it. And I think that it's like, if if you don't, if you're not a salty dog, it's hard to do salty dog things. Right. And and pulling that first trigger is always, and then she looks, I think she looks at Allison and thinks like, Eh, you're probably doing what I would do with for my son if I had the chance, and maybe maybe, maybe. she has second thoughts. But again, this is all these are all sort of motives that I have to ascribe to the characters because they have not told me that story, right? And I agree. Then I think that's what it is, right? So we are, now we're choosing, you know, and but and that isn't necessarily a bad thing. I and mean, we talk about ambiguity, like we've gone through this 
it's only been an episode since Allison heard Viserys ramble and tell yeah. the story of Aegon. And I and what we took this episode to just sort of follow her actions to go. Well, I think she believes it. Like I truly think she believed that was the thing. Now it could also be fueled by you hear what you want to hear, and then that helps move things, you know, along. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is which doesn't like those two things can exist simultaneously, but she can still genuinely believe it. And I think it took us to get to there. So my hope is that we'll get through, we'll get to Renice. We'll get to understand what just happened by further actions, right? Because um, because it can be read one of two ways. Sure. Like it can be read the way yeah, you yeah. said, which says, "Look, she was about to pull the trigger, but then when she came down to it, she just, she couldn't pull it off." Or she just she did a full. You do feel lucky, punk, where she was like, "I, <laughs> I'm out." Like like not not today, but I, you know, like or like, maybe it's that like, is a power move, right? If you're sitting there, it you're, is you're a like, power move. I'm a word away from from ending. Yeah, yeah. all of this. But I opt not on to. top of that, you're also you're also kind of saving ammunition for later. Like maybe that that becomes political capital sure. for her. Right. Like, like I could have. The but only I didn't. reason that you're alive right now is because I didn't say Dracula. Well, and that and, and like that could also echo uh, Masaria's statements that she's talking about. Like basically, like the reason why uh-huh. you know, like, is because we allow it. Right. I mean, there's there is something to be said there for for that parallel. I think that that. Yeah, there's political capital. There's restraint. There's so here's to somebody who fancies themselves as having been a better leader uh, instead of Viserys. So uh-huh. you burn everybody down. That sort of undercuts your legacy. But if you can have an opportunity to to lead in some other capacity and show some agency, um, what, whether it, maybe it's not through compassion, but it's through. Mm-hmm through uh well-timed mercy or you know there's something to be said for that so i i I left that to me that was the spectacle the biggest spectacle of the of of nine was the lack of of dragon fire that's interesting so it's it's the punch that ali never threw right interesting okay one more thing about this scene that i think absolutely needs to be pointed out and that is that so far Everything in the books has kind of plausibly happened on screen. If there has been a divergence, it's been a backroom thing that maybe wouldn't make it into the history books. Because the whole thing, the, Fire and Blood is written like a history, like, okay, so this there's a rumor about this, and then that source says this. But it's never kind of like a God's eye view, because every single person in that book's an unreliable narrator. Mm. So you can play with things like Larry Strong's foot fetish because that happens in a back room, right? Right. So not not in the book, but that absolutely happens in a back room. So there's no way that these maesters who are writing this book would know that information. A big dragon <laughs> doing dragon things in front of a thousand witnesses is not a back room event. Sure. And the fact that th- that's on the book tells us that this genre that they're playing with has departed dramatically from the books. And they feel like the changes that they make to Martin's narrative are not just going to be backroom changes. They could make really big set piece changes in divergence to the original stories. Does that give you pause? I like it. Okay. I like it. Because, I, mean, I, I mean, I think I've been waiting the whole time for them to diverge from the story to sort of fill in the world and color in the world. I wanted them to introduce new characters that are not in the books. I want them to have 
I don't know. I just I just want the world to feel more lived in than this world that they've given us. Do you? So I think it's good. I think it's a good sign. It's a, well, it can be a good sign, but if it's a, if it's truly, yeah, we did a, we we diverged because we needed a spectacle, because that's the expectation of an episode <laughs> that's nine. What I'm worried about. Then that's not. That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign. So I, I'm willing to give them. I mean, there's been so much good up until this point, and I still think mm. that the uh, I still think that that final sequence it did get me going like, oh, okay, like, all right, here we go, you know, and um, mm-hmm. and then nothing happens. Yeah, well, but 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 like I said, I I do believe something did happen, right? And that's it was the lack of dragon fire. It was the lack of dragon fire, which to some, you know, I I. I liked that. I preferred that because I also felt like I was getting duped. Like, I'm like, oh, here comes the dragon fire. And then I'm like, but wait, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. But like, who knows what they're going to do? It's Game of Thrones, you know? Yeah, and sure. uh, and so it didn't happen. Um, so it gave me a lot more to think about. Okay. Um, let's talk about the dismemberment count. Uh, I think that we had some teeth filing. Yeah. There's I don't a, think that head, I don't think we have heads, a head crunching, head crunching maybe. Yeah, but I think we're uh, are we a dismemberment free zone? This is dismemberment free episode for sure. Um, cheek speak. Uh, I think you said that you said it at three and a half last time. Yeah, and I forgot to take the over or the under. Hmm. Uh, so. so... You win. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know what I would have said. I I mean, there's no point in, in guessing now. All right. So then, uh, finally, uh, Dorn Dinklage, Danny. This is probably the hardest part for me, um, because uh, you get you get yourself sort of wound up for for an episode nine. So like, it's funny because like we talk like critiquing them for feeling the need to have a, a spectacle in an episode nine. But then at the same time, me sitting there waiting for it because I feel like it's owed yeah. to me, <laughs> and then like giving them a hard time because they so did it. So you feel like, yeah, yeah, you feel like you had unrealistic expectations. Well, it's also like I'm like I'm faulting them for doing the thing that I was like, you better do it. <laughs> you know? like, so like that's on me, man. I'm gonna take that one. Um, I'm. I don't think I disliked it enough to to feel like I'm going to give it uh, any of the Dorn treatment. But it's close. I mean, here's a, here's why I won't give it a dorm because I I more than it, I was I was confused a bit. I was a little irritated with the pacing, but I didn't like dislike it. And to me, a, a dorm I think there's a more visceral like, ah, here we go. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, all right. So you're probably like a sub Danny. I'm a sub Danny. Yeah. Okay. All right. So. I am going to give it a Dorn. I'm okay. going to say properly Dorn. And then the reason why I'm going to say that is that I think that in the past, you've described Dorn episodes as a misfire. Mm, okay. And in this episode, we have a literal misfire. <laughs> so, yeah, the yeah. dragon does not Dracarys. <laughs> and I'm thinking, that's a, that's a misfire. This is not moving the plot. In fact, so. fact we moved the, the entire episode was to finish on a misfire. <laughs> so you liked it i didn't like i you liked the misfire i did not like the misfire i'm so willing I'm to give the misfire i'm willing to give the misfire the benefit of the doubt because if it plays if it plays to a bigger 
like that to me to me the not doing it is is a pretty significant cliffhanger right like i don't think you yeah, want to yeah. finish the series or the the season this way but i definitely think that like it's it put me in a spot i'm like all right like there's a lot more like there would have been a what's next if she just cooked everybody um but like yeah they, here but, we are like we, <laughs> one of the big critiques of the last season of game of thrones was that danny cooked everybody yeah yeah and now, she, and now, Renice decides not to cook everyone, and I'm like, "Oh, that sucks." <laughs> right, right. I mean, it's it's so. I, I think so. I don't think that I would have any better idea of what to do with these dragons. Well, yeah, right. But I think also this is what happens. Like, okay, so you deviate from the book, bring in the dragon, and they're like, "Yeah, but we can't have her kill everybody because then that's like that's a crazy deviation from the book, right? Like, if we do uh-huh, that, yeah. then now we're rewriting the entire history." So well, you don't have greens and blacks anymore. You have, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you've got nothing, right? So, so obviously they can't do that, right? So then it's like, okay, well, then you better you better give me a reason for changing from the book and and, and putting the dragon in there. Um, so that's why I'm giving it like having have this conversation without knowing that it was a deviation. Like to me, it actually helps me look at that and go, okay, well, it's it's a spectacle. She did it. I think it. I think it gives more credence to what we're going to see from Renice going forward, and that's my hope. So, all right, I'll so, share your hope. So with that's you. why I'm. That's why I'm probably like Danny minus two, um, because I'm uh, infusing a little bit. Like I'm giving it the benefit of the doubt that I that, that we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I feel like even though I'm giving it a Dorn, I will say that I loved, loved, loved the idea that Aegon is trying to. Hot, he he doesn't want it so much he's willing to hide and and escape and and leave and never come back and that Amond is absolute absolutely wants it but decides to do his duty to put his older brother on the throne even though he knows his older brother is going to be a horrible king like to me that is a solid game of thrones plot mm-hmm. i was really into that part of it and i and i like i like the brother stuff i i like that they're playing with the the twin brother stuff so I, I'm looking forward to see that going forward. Okay. I didn't hate the foot stuff either. I'll be honest. I didn't hate the foot stuff. It was interesting. I'll give it that. I definitely uh, didn't see it coming. But I, it, it, there's some, like, I think there is, I mean, we said we're not going to talk about the foot stuff. But, like, I think let's talk about the foot stuff a little bit, which is um, this is how Allison's been getting her info. <laughs> like, the, like, I love how Otto is, like, you know, like, with your pouches of silver, it's like, eh. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised at what, how much silver one can save. If you uh, just know, it's... if you just have the right Groupon code, you can get a lot of things. Larry, okay, I, I think I went from like love, 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 Larry. Like I can't get enough, Larry. Give me more, Larry. To are you? Am I sure? I, oh no, he's a horrible. Yeah, I hate now, he, now I he's like, <laughs> He's evil and gross at the same time. Now he's more Larry from Three's Company than ever before. So he just becomes more and more depressed. The idea that he can be motivated by so little, right? Like he can be motivated, like so little can, can will, will take him to this brink. And that that's his, you know, this that's her version of like every other, you know, uh, you know, uh, cop movie where it's like, oh, you, you remember where he went? No, I don't seem to remember. Would uh, Mr. Franklin help you remember? You know, she's like, like would uh, the little piggy that went to market help you remember?
We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. Mission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcast on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. I'm wondering about Laris Strong. I wonder if, <laughs> if is this guy is this guy just too much to find a parallel or are there sort of characters in the shadows that history kind of like suspects that they were doing dirty, but you never never held like a prominent role, but you're pretty sure that they're doing nasty things behind the curtains. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's again, like I, I feel like I'm doing Italians dirty here, but there's, <laughs> <laughs> it's just history. There's, a, there, there's this character who uh, is kind of Cesare Borgia's uh, bodyguard. His name was Michelotto, and he had this reputation for being the murder guy. Like uh-huh. anytime the Borgias needed someone murdered, he was he would mysteriously mm-hmm. be there, and then he would mysteriously not be there, and someone would. You be should there. have seen this guy's business cards. They just yeah. said the murder guy. Yeah, Michelotto, <laughs> the murder guy. It's like all the right. murder hoodie on the show. Like they yeah. all like anytime Damon is going out to murder someone, he yeah, wears the same put, hoodie. Put on, put on the Italian hoodie. Yeah, yeah, and so, now Eamon has started doing it too. It's great. <laughs> all right, so tell me more about uh, the murder guy. The murder guy. Okay, so uh, Michelotto was essentially this, uh, he, he was a servant. He was a guy who was in the Borgia family's household. And I I don't know what, if he had a formal role, but my impression has always been that he was kind of Cesare's bodyguard. He was his guy. And he has, and there are a number of instances where he is, he is on the record as having literally murdered people in broad daylight, like in front of witnesses. Mm. Um, he, in fact, uh, well, that's murdered... a little Kristen Cole right there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got a lot of Kristen Cole kind of interesting. Like sometimes it's wide open. Sometimes it's right uh, in the wide open, and sometimes it's behind people's backs, and he's never caught. Like it's Machiavelli is clearly fascinated by this man. He mentions him a bunch of times. Uh-huh. Um, and he's like, "What is with this dude?" Uh, but Laris, like, it's interesting because I, one of the things I found tremendously interesting about this episode was how much time and how much energy they devoted to the way information is flowing and how, who, <laughs> which characters know what, because there are so many scenes that begin with who knows this, who have you told, who is aware of this information? Um, where is this character? We need to be, we need to keep information under control. Right. Um, and what I want more information, I want to know more about my Saria. I want more. I don't think she's dead. I think she survived. Oh, no, and I yeah, want I to she know survived. what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I, yeah, you haven't seen the last of her for sure. No, we um, can't have. There's not a chance. If I don't, I follow. George, this is a George R. R. Martin thing, and he follows comic book rules. If you don't see a body, yeah, they may still be around. <laughs> right, you can always bring them back. Oh, <laughs> 